Welcome to A Rabbi and a Lawyer Walk Into a Bar, a podcast with relatively well-informed and irreverent musings on religion, news, and society. And now, for your hosts, Rabbi Asher Lopatin and John Geringer. Hey, John, how are you doing? I'm okay, Asher, on the verge of vacation. How are you? You've had some interesting adventures over the last few weeks. That's why I haven't been able to chat. Yeah, certainly adventures in travel to Israel and to Rio de Janeiro, but also I think adventures really in, in relationships. I feel relationships with, I we deal a lot with interfaith fellows, with Hindus and Muslims and Christians and African-American, a missionary Baptist. And it's really, it's been up, a lot of interesting ups and downs with relationships. And some have really come through in incredible supportive ways of our not my non-Jewish friends and partners through the Jewish Community Relations Council, AJC. But also some were are really challenging. I'll just say, John, I'm really you asked. Tonight you, you are the right man for the right time, as we've discussed. Uh, honestly, my I feel relationship with the Muslim community have been really not perfect, really difficult, but some people have been amazing. And this one Muslim leader, Dr. Al-Hadidi, that we worked with, that we actually went to Israel with, he and his wife, we were just on a local TV show, Fox 2, Let It Rip. That's what it's called, Let It Rip. And and I think it worked okay. I think we show we could respect each other. We could disagree. He wants a ceasefire. I want Hamas eliminating the hostages back and whatever. But I think we showed that we could be civil with each other and we could have a lot of things that we share, caring for human life. So I'm actually really relieved. I was worried about this. I was excited about this. And I think overall it was pretty good. But then one other thing, our, speaking of friends, Fox News, God bless them. Look, they're not good on, on certain domestic issues, but but on Israel, they're great. And so I had a great interview with Fox Live or Fox, yeah, which is like they're streaming Oh, I got to lash out at the protesters. It was at universities and it was such a machaya. So I really... You were just throwing out that red meat to them. Exactly. They were throwing out red meat to me. And then it was a <laughs> mutual red meat eating thing. <laughs> By the way, I went to Evita, the Argentinian place here in Chicago, and had some delicious steak the other day. So that, that was probably about the vibe you had on Fox News, yeah, just that delicious yeah. steak going back and forth. Though I'm a Miltz fan. I'm Miltz. I've had a lot of, I've done a lot of AJC things and even Federation things, and I've gotten some Miltz. I know I've slipped into to Chicago, but it was in and out in the city. Sorry, John. Not I didn't make it up to Deerfield. It's all right. We'll catch you next time. So tell us about the Israel trip. Yeah. So it was a month ago. So it's a caveat. And, but I felt Israel is so resilient. I was so inspired by Israel and by a lot of different Israelis. The ones we visited in the hospital, the, the brave, this brave soldier who saved so many lives on October 7th. And he was shot up in the leg. They had to do two surgeries on his leg, but he's planning to do a triathlon next year. And to the people, all the volunteers, yes, I did the stuffing lettuce and I did the lettuce and the petrozilia <laughs> and the agricultural stuff. The folks I was with volunteering, they were all like Anglo immigrants and actually from Cuba and stuff. But did you see the American cowboys who went over there? No, I missed that. They were probably, 
they were not stuffing romaine lettuce into little plastic boxes. I think they gave them more sophisticated uh, yeah. things to they, do. They actually were skilled and know how to use the land. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, we couldn't even get the lettuce the right size for the boxes. We had a, the supervisor <laughs> criticized it, but, uh, but just felt that people were just inspiring Israelis. Watching it from a distance, it's so frustrating and difficult. But there, I think it's more inspiring. I think people coming coming back just recently, just really feeling strong and inspired. And so that's really what it was. And it's sad and strange that, that Ben Gurion Airport is so empty. And security, it's like at four different stations all begging me to come to them so that they could... <laughs> And Let then, me interrogate you, please. Yeah, I know, so sad. Oh, come on, ask more questions. And then I, mean, I have a car that gets me to the Dan Club. Empty. Oh my gosh. Wow. Everything. I, was I have been inspired to see, there was a video that just came out today. It was someone who was there who lost his leg and they had a musician play in front of them. And he was, he, the musician, was reluctant to play certain uplifting songs. And they actually said, no, this is what we want. And it's a miracle we survived. And he, to the extent he could, got out of his wheelchair and, and danced and invited Wow. The musician to sing optimistic songs. And I, I thought that was really a, such an idea of Jewish optimism. Yeah, I think our enemies, whether they are Hamas or whether they're other terrorists or whether they're these the crazy protesters, the angry people against us, against Israel, they delude themselves. They think that we're dying and we're shriveling up and it's not. Israel is still alive and, and thank God, doing okay and needs to get through this terrible war, which is so painful because of the deaths of Palestinians and the tragic deaths of the Israelis. But Israel is strong and alive. And and now one other thing from the deep to the banal, your story is so beautiful, but Delta and El Al, code sharing, baby. So that means in the new year, that means even though Nebuch Delta is not planning to fly to Israel for till March, but you can fly El Al on, as it were, Delta with a coach here at Delta and get Delta miles. Get to Israel. That's my message. Go to Israel. One way or the other. I know my daughter's school was grappling with whether or not to have the trip in January oh. and they pushed it to May. I know some other schools intentionally kept it in January. Yeah. It was a tough discussion that I know parents had on the issue. Look, your level of stress and your level of, uh, you know, but really get to Israel. Make sure this year... Everyone should get to Israel. And uh, yes, the least we can do in the diaspora. I have my my son, Judah's there and he's learning and he's when he was volunteering. And now our daughter, Kara's in Israel for a couple of weeks learning. Israelis want to see your smiling face. They just want to see you. It's not, they're not, it's, like you said, they, they want the violin to be playing happy music. So that was very inspiring, very short. And I love Israel, but I love, I don't know. I just want to say like the banal things that maybe are silly and banal in Gullus and the diaspora, when you do them in Israel, they're they're elevated to a new level, like driving. Like I love driving in Israel and I love negotiating with drivers and when I just <laughs> love it. Everything is taken to a different level. Now, of that course- could be, That could very much be a minority opinion. 
yeah. <laughs> Look, that's what we do here. Yeah, I just feel that it it was very, it strengthened my faith, even though this war has been so difficult. And John, you're such an expert on the laws of warfare, not let alone on terrorism, but the laws of war. How do you feel what's happening in Israel now with there's still a huge amount of destruction going on in Gaza? Yeah, I'm gearing up to teach it next semester. So over winter break, sitting on the beach, I'm going to be reading the laws of armed conflict to refresh my memory. But the one thing that struck me since we last spoke was this horrific incident with the three uh, Israeli hostages that were unfortunately mistakenly shot. And it, it did create a perception that, at least according to the reporting, they came out, hands up, shirtless, holding a white flag. And, and it really, I think, in, in some people's minds, shifted their belief on whether or not the Israeli tactics, at, at least with respect to uh, people who are trying to surrender, uh, were appropriate. And I, I think that even the Israelis are conducting a pretty thorough inquiry around that sort of thing. And it, I, I think it's allowed for some supporters of Israel to, to be able to at least justify a shift in their minds a little bit to say, look, Israel's a country, America's a country, both make mistakes. And here's a clear example of a mistake. The only question is whether it's pervasive, whether it was the rules of engagement were too loose in a situation like this, particularly when they knew that there were hostages throughout these buildings. Um, now, I, I don't want to put myself in the shoes of an 18-year-old under the most enormous stress we could imagine, right. especially because we know that Hamas intentionally has lured them into these buildings with booby traps and the like. But right. th there has to be some thinking that, you know, to the extent that we, we know there are hostages who are uh, mingled among the, the populace there to right. take a step back and know that they certainly need to protect their own lives and engage in self-defense but be careful around folks who at least ostensibly look like they are surrendering. Yeah, I it's so sad because, first of all, and the Times of Israel pointed this out, what a, how amazing it would have been had they rescued them, had they found them, and what an amazing story that would have been. And then just to hear the dogs that went in before and recorded them, and then the, the SOS right. that was written in the phone. Oh, my gosh. But I did hear something inspiring about even this, and that is... This one's CNN. So I give CNN a lot of credit. They've done a lot of really good reporting. The A mother, I'm, I might well up even when I say this, a, a mother of, actually, it's really good for the portion of the week where Joseph forgives his brothers. So a mother of one of the three hostages who was killed, I heard her talking and say to the soldiers that did this, do not feel guilty. It's not your fault. Just wish you strength and fight on. Just amazing for a mother of a kid who was killed just to do that. It's amazing. So there's such inspiration and bravery. And the other thing is that, oh my goodness, look, this is our podcast. That jerk Netanyahu didn't, they said, I don't know, but they said he didn't even call them, some of these parents. what? And he, three weeks ago when, or a month ago, when the Good Samaritan who jumped in and killed some terrorists, and then he was killed by, I believe it was an off-duty, he was killed. Uh, Netanyahu didn't approach in the right way either. It's just, oh my God. And I, especially I, him, I just finished reading his autobiography, where he is so clear about how 
how he felt about his brother and people who came when his brother died in the famous Entebbe mission. Yeah. And for him to have that background, and I listened to 30 hours of his book on tape, oh uh, luckily at, at double speed, so it was only 15 hours. Uh, but nonetheless, after hearing 15 hours of BB's words, and then to see that this is his attitude, it's shocking. I And always makes me wonder, especially after having listened to his book, had he just retired just a little bit earlier, he would have yeah. gone down as one of Israel's greatest prime ministers, and now he's going to go yeah. down as one of its worst. Yeah, it's really, there's a lesson there for a lot of politicians. Giuliani, they can, it's just incredible. People can do so much good, I think. Yeah, and I think he, a lot of the modern state of Israel is owes to Netanyahu and the economy and, but really rough stuff. It's been I think when anyone says, how are you? It's really a tough question to answer. But I, on the other hand, I was saying to someone, I don't know where it was, on Facebook or something, that I was always jealous of Harvard University. Yeah, someone wrote, the uh, a graduate of the law school said, the H stands for hypocrisy. <laughs> so I said, I was always jealous of you guys. I went to Boston University undergraduate <laughs> and was jealous of, of Harvard Hillel and of Harvard and all that. And not so jealous now. Yeah, the brand certainly has been tarnished. Watch, I, I watched the entire hearing. and oh, You are amazing, John. You are the really serious legal thinker. Again, I, I do it on double speed. So it's the five hours became two and a half hours. But yeah, what really surprised me, like Liz McGill, who you pen that a lot of people pilloried for the job she did. She was actually, I, I didn't realize this at the time, she was a scholar of constitutional law. Oh, really? <laughs> and so she's got to be able to recognize, and, and I know they were all briefed by well Price lawyers telling them how to interact with Congress. I, I'm just shocked at the advice they were given. And I was shocked that they didn't know enough to reject some of that advice. Yeah. To say part of this is theater, part of this is gotcha. And you can recite the law. And we all know the First Amendment and happy to get into what incitement means under Brandenburg and all these other cases. But to know enough to know that's not the audience you're playing for that you have to be able to call out genocide against Jews as being beyond the pale. And yet you can still make your First Amendment argument. But yeah. they, they led with this sort of stilted, horrific uh, mantra that all of them kept reciting. And I'm glad Saturday Night Live made fun of them. Although the skit was pretty terrible, I'm still glad that they made fun of them. Yeah, it's. I think Tevi Troy had an article that said we always have these create like hippies in the in the sixties and the beatniks and the this and the that, and they always have these crazy people. Young people are crazy. What are you going to do? They're young, but usually you have adults in the room that kind of shape it. And in this case, they're not doing their responsibility. Say that it's disgusting and despicable to talk about that genocide. Just say that that's your opinion. It's not illegal. It's not going to get sued. But it's just being an adult and at least telling these kids that it's disgusting. And I think they'll listen to the adults a little bit when if they're willing to stand up and say something. But it's, there's just cowering. It's really pathetic.
Yeah, the only ray of sunshine, we did an event at our shul that I brought together some of the folks with whom I teach. I don't know if I mentioned this in the last episode, where we brought and talked about the laws relating to Hamas, whether it be laws of war or uh, material support for terrorism. But one of the speakers talked about Title VI and what the Department of Education can do with respect to Ooh, discriminatory yeah. harassment. Yeah. When it's severe and pervasive and objectively offensive, when it denies education opportunity and benefit, that's something that the Department of Ed has the authority to go after. And I don't like m- much of what he did, and now even less, but one of the good things Trump did is he folded in yeah. anti-Semitism right. into the rubric around discrimination against race, color, and national origin. He he put yeah. uh, na- anti-Semitism with, within that bucket. And it's pretty clear that the Department of Ed has gotten the message from Congress that it's time to speed up some of these reviews. And we know people who are taking this on pro bono and sometimes not so pro bono, but they are taking on the mantle of identifying all these various examples we've seen around the country and pushing the Department of Ed to go after these folks and to go after the the university for not providing, I hate to use the word safe space, but providing literally a safe space. Forget about microaggressions. These are macroaggressions. And so hopefully, if nothing else, it will get the Department of Ed to take these things more seriously. Yeah, and and if there are Jews that are protesting and that are these, a lot of these anti-Israel protests, the worst of them are by the Jews. And I say, throw their tuchuses in jail (laughs) Go after the Jews, the anti-Semitic Jews first. Yeah, who are these rabbis for peace? Who are these people who block expressways what first of all they are not bringing any goodwill to their cause in terms of the palestinians and they're bringing ill will it's a chil hashem against jews remind us all what chil hashem is and the importance of jews actually being ambassadors in this world i like violating god's name giving judaism and torah bad reputation and the only thing worse maybe than being a machal shem shemaim a desecrator of god's name is being a drake you know, Drake, <laughs> it is bothering people like, you know, and some of y- the Yiddish, Yiddish, of course, for literally means spinhead, Drake yeah, cup, exactly. like dreidel, like dreidel, yeah. <laughs> like Drake cups. You're snarling up traffic in a, in, and they did it in Dearborn, like they did it in the Arab American area, like <laughs> Nebuch, like ridiculous. Oh my gosh. And these are, they're protesting Israel. And I, I think people are just not going to tolerate it. I think it's going to be enough and people are going to reject this. And if people are on visas of students, but I know that universities want money. So they never want to send back a foreign student who's paying full tuition, but maybe the Department of Education money that they might lose out on, maybe that will scare them a little bit. But I hear your, yeah. And provide some transparency around these centers from Qatar. Yeah, Qatar's invested a lot of money. Yeah, they're- Although it's funny, I once hosted some folks who were dealing with anti-money laundering, counterterrorism. And I met one of the folks from Qatar and I asked him, how do you pronounce the name of your country? He said, you could do Qatar, you could do Qatar, you could do the more guttural Arabic Qatar. And so I have learned that I can pronounce it all three of those ways if I like. (laughs) Just don't call us late to the OPEC. (laughs) 
But I hear your shul is doing some fun. You did some fun things for Hanukkah. Hanukkah just ended. And what what was your exciting shul up to, John? It was one of those things that I, I think we have all been so sad for so long that we needed a break from all of that. So someone invited me to participate in our shul's version of something that University of Chicago has been doing since 1946, which is the Latka Hamantash debate. The real version, of course, has PhDs who use technical language from their discipline to, to make very strong and passionate arguments as to which is better, Latka versus Hamantashen. I was given the choice, and of course, I picked, drumroll, Hamantashen. So I... I argued against Hanukkah. You would appreciate some of this. I talked about the fact that the story of Hanukkah didn't even make it to the Tanakh. It was in the Apocrypha, in the Maccabees. Mm -hmm. And then I mentioned, like the other great books of the Apocrypha, Visions of Amram and Gad the Seer. We don't hear a lot of stories about those guys. And then I, and then of course I had to say, my Hanukkah, they couldn't even figure out why are we having this holiday Oh, and I made a joke, wow. it'd be like Americans being completely oblivious as to why we light fireworks on the 4th of July. And then I stopped myself and said, maybe that's a bad analogy. So then I jumped right into various aspects of why latkes are so terrible. If you keep them around more than 20 minutes, they become like the Iron Dome. So that got some laughs. <laughs> and I think I made another joke about the way irritable bowel syndrome affects us Jews and how you eat too much of that's like river to the sea. I got some zingers in that I think we all needed a laugh after the last few months. So you went through with negative advertising, really, not a nice positive uh, campaign. For me, I was all about the negative ad. My, my partner spoke about the joys of Purim and she's a dentist, but Hamantash, uh-huh. we realized that the sugar content is less than it was in a, in basically six hamantashen equaled one can of Coke. So she recommended four out of five dentists surveyed said it was okay to have a hamantashen. Wow. And then the other side didn't do the debate as much as did some good song and dance shtick. And it worked out well. Everyone had some laughs and I think we all needed them. Oh my God. So you were like the Bob Dole to the Gerald Ford. If anyone... <laughs> I was very serious. <laughs> That's great. That's great. How is your shul doing? You have a woman rabbi in a pretty conservative shul. Yeah, she's great. Just like you are the right man for the time, she is the right woman for the time. Her as her empathy, her social intelligence her emotional intelligence. There has not been one single sermon that she's done where I haven't teared up a little bit. And I'm, look, I got the triple threat, right? I'm a Yeki, I'm a German Jew, I'm a lawyer, and I'm a practicing Stoic. So I should have no tears ever flowing out of my eyeballs. And yet every single sermon she's done has moved me. And so it has been great. She has brought some of the exiles who had left our show previously and brought him back. And so it's been absolutely wonderful. And her husband, him, Avi Feingold, is, is also an amazing and interesting person who has his own podcast. So we have a lot to talk about as well. That's funny. Yeah, Avi, uh, Rabbi Avi Feingold always used to make Jello Pops at Simplest Torah, spiked Jello Pops, frozen. And I got a question from someone, from my Jewish learning, that... Can you make Kiddush on Jello Pops that are made from wine or something? And what was the answer? 
It's difficult. There's a discussion about how... I knew you weren't going to give me a good answer. So I said, and also the question of if something is frozen, if it's a frozen wine, some say you can't make Kiddush on it. But uh, what I said is that for Shabbos lunch, you can make Kiddush, not Friday night. (laughs) So there's my... (laughs) There's a distinction. Okay. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. So yeah, look, I think... It's so amazing. This is about sermons. Like, are every, is every sermon going to be about Israel? But uh, I think still it's really, really going to be there. But I do think that I hope we go back to a little bit of normalcy at some point. But Israel's not normal. And it's, so I don't think, I don't know. It's, it might be that, like the song said, how can I sing the songs of Zion? We can, it, we can't just go back to our regular songs while Israel is still in pain. So I guess we're going to still, this is going to be top of our minds, really. Well, our show has taken to singing Hatikva uh, right before Kiddush, nice. which is the new custom we did, which is great. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I love it. Tonight we had a party for our, it wasn't, we called it a gathering because we didn't want to celebrate, but it was our holiday gathering for our Coalition of Black and Jewish Unity and we, I think Hatikva is not just a song about the state of Israel. It's the Jewish national anthem. It's about hope and about being together in our land. And that's a critical part of Judaism. And we did, we sang Lift Every Voice, which many call the Black National Anthem, which I just love. I love, love, love that song. I want to, what is it? Appropriate, cultural appropriation. Sorry. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I love it. And and Hatikva, we did them together. John, to get a little bit more serious, it's a challenge to faith sometimes. Where is God? And where was God on October 7th? And I know the question is, where was man? Where was the IDF? Where was this and that? But it's when you, when you think about individuals and how much they, and I know God is watching and God is there and God is crying, but it's really very painful and very difficult. And the whole idea of just rely on God and things will be okay. I don't know. What, what's been so surprising to me is that people aren't expressing atheism or yeah. anger at God. Just the opposite. You, you've seen non-religious soldiers putting on tefillin or praying, or whatever the case may be. I, I've been really shocked. That's and true. in the back of my mind, I want to scream out loud, how was this allowed to happen? And, and yet, I feel like a lot of Jews aren't saying that. And a lot of Israelis aren't expressing outward anger about however they define God. And and it's remarkable that, mm-hmm. in fact, they're going all the way the opposite one, and they are doubling down on their faith and their amuna. It's amazing. It's a lot of this, and you're a child of survivors, of a survivor, that, you know, a lot of this, I think, in, in people that experience concentration camps and the Holocaust. And um, I remember Dr. Klebs in our shul, who was such a strong believer in God. And I asked him, you went through so many concentration camps. You saw so many horrors and you suffered. When he just felt God did miracles for him. He constantly saw the miracles that God did for him. So it's when we go to a service, I get to go to Christian services frequently on Sundays. And there's so much faith. incredible faith but yeah and it's a question does they hope the younger generation gets it but it's so powerful john you're talking about israel and how these soldiers really have that kind of faith so that's 
I think that's a good thing because I'm in the religious business. <laughs> <laughs> and business is a booming. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's it's a real combination of of community, of peoplehood and of religion and of God and look, this we'll just hope for we'll really hope for the best. I hope the next podcast we do there's some really good news. I keep on every night I go to bed hoping that I'll wake up and they will have found the hostages or they will have been, didn't quite work out that way a week ago, but I pray that way. I'm with you. Hopefully everybody else is sending their prayers. It's been great doing the podcast in 2023. Let's hope for a better 2024 and we'll see you on the other side. Okay. Take it easy and take it easy on vacation. Don't, don't overdo it on the beach. <laughs> I'll that'll be your rabbinic advice that I will take most of. Thank you for listening to this episode of a rabbi and a lawyer walk into a bar. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to get our next episode delivered right to you. If you really like us, please consider leaving a review and sharing this with a friend. That would really help our efforts. And finally, to contact us and for more show-related information, please visit our website, rabbilawyerbar.com. Special thanks to our production team, David Stone for the introduction music, Andrew Bauman for the artwork, and I'm Nicholas Tantillo. This podcast is co-produced with Front and Social Studios in Chicago. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. Copyrighted material, all rights reserved.